idea of the clock. So just to sort of rewind for a moment, um, we started last year looking at the first part of the book about hearing God through His Word, and then speaking to God through prayer, and then gathering with God's people in fellowship. And these last few ideas are not, they don't fit neatly under any one of those three headings, Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, but they're very closely connected and flow out of them. A concern to do the Great Commission, reaching the lost with the Gospel. A desire to be good stewards of our money. A desire to manage our time well. All of these things are necessary tools in accomplishing some of these other things that are the spiritual disciplines that we're supposed to do. So when it comes to the idea of time management, you walk into a bookstore, one of the few that are left, and look on the shelf, especially in like the business section, you're going to find a ton of books on time management, productivity, everybody's got their different angle on it, their idea about it. Um, but why do we need to manage our time? Some would argue that that's, a, um, that's kind of a, a Western idea. If you go to certain places in Africa, uh, or, or even like an American culture kind of thing. If you go to, I had a friend who was in Mexico, and I may have mentioned this before, I think his wedding started about three hours later than the appointed time, because the people that were supposed to be there, all the family members and such, they weren't there yet. And you didn't wait, you didn't start till all the people got there. For us, that would be, we would feel like that's terribly rude, right? This thing starts at 9 a.m. and nobody gets there till noon or one, but, in their mind, they prioritize those people. And culturally, it's just sort of a fact that things don't start according to the clock. They start whenever everybody gets there. Now, could it be argued that if those people had made certain preparations that they could have overcome obstacles like a car breaking down or, or bad traffic or all those other sorts of things? Sure. But for them, it is not quite the same as for us. So. How then do we look at this? He says here at the beginning, you are always on the clock, ignore the rush to your own peril, or walk the path of wisdom in stewarding your short and few days as gifts from God. So when we set that alongside of cultural priorities with regard to how we use our time, the reality is, even if we do not have the same sense of being bound to a particular start time for events, we still only have so much time in the day, right? So regardless of whether we feel stressed about being on time or not, we still have a limited amount of time. And that's true across every culture, across every human being. And most of us, when he says short and few days, what, what, do you th what is he talking about? What's a, what's a normal lifespan today? 75, 85, somewhere in there, yeah. In the Middle Ages, for example, it was very short. Somebody who hit their 40s was old, ancient, because of poor nutrition, all those other sorts of things. Yeah, lots of factors. Now it's much higher. But it's still nowhere near what we read in the first few chapters of Genesis, for example. And so, think about where you are on that timeline. 
if we say, just grab a number like 80. If we say 80 is the endpoint, how far are you away from that endpoint? Speaking on average. Just think about that for a moment. So, he says, not only does the Apostle Paul give us the charter, look carefully then how you walk, making the best use of the time, Ephesians 5, but even a millennium and a half earlier, the prayer of Moses asked for God's help to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, Psalm 90 and verse 12. So where should we start? Turn over to James 4. Maybe someone could read James 4, 13 to 16. Who would like to do that for us? So, what is one of the sort of bedrock principles that has to stand behind any way that we come at approaching how we manage our time? Okay? And who's in charge of it? God is, not me. So, if God's in charge of those things, all of our plans are always willing to be overruled by God's plan, right? Uh, Proverbs 27.1, Luke 12.20 are along the same lines. He says this, The hands of the clock are ever in the hands of God. It is arrogant to plan without planning for God. So then how do we balance between what's important and what is urgent? Uh, turn over to Romans chapter 13. Someone want to read verse 8 and verse 10 for us, Jim? What's the point of how we use our time? In light of this passage. Love? Okay, good. So we tend to look at time, like we look at money, as something for me to use how I want to use it, or how I have to use it, right? And recognizing that God can overrule my schedule and recognizing that God has given me time not merely for myself, but to serve others around me. These are important principles that stand behind and change the way that we approach our time. Now, there is the reality that um, we, we can have the challenge of um, not having a very good balance when it comes to how we use our time. So. For example, um, there we go. You guys have probably seen a grid like this at some point. I'm trying to remember exactly how it goes. So I think 
Let's see. Important versus urgent. One of you has probably uh, seen this grid. I'm trying to remember where the labels go. All right, so let's uh, let's try it like this, and if it's not right, we'll adjust it. So, important, urgent. I think it goes basically like this. This is not a biblical concept. It's just a practical thing to help us think about this. So, if we have if we have a progression between things that are important and things that are urgent, let's say that we have something down here. Um, trying to think of a good example. Um, let's let, let's put here some kind of hobby. You want to paint a model airplane that you put together, or something like that. Is that, in the grand scheme of things for life, really important? No. Is it really urgent? No. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not really important. It's not really urgent. Um, let's say, put here something like, uh, take out the trash. But it's, let's say your trash day is Friday and it's Monday. Is it important? Yeah. But it's not really urgent, right? What's that? <laughs> well, how full is the trash can? When I say, I mean, like, you don't have to take it out to the curb because it's not the day to do that. that. That's the point of what I'm trying to say. Um, something that's urgent but not really important. Um, if we say something like junk mail or certain phone calls. So if you're trying to get stuff done and somebody calls you up and they're like, hey, I want to tell you about this political campaign thing that I've got going on. It's urgent to them and they're trying to make it urgent for you, but it's not particularly important necessarily. And then when we come to something like this, which would be something like but obviously this can move around. We would argue that reading your Bible is important, and there's a sense of it, if you haven't done it, it could also be urgent, right? Um, and, and it can move around, because if I read my Bible, and I've been thinking about it throughout the day, there, it ebbs and flows about how urgent it is. So I'm just trying to give us some examples here. What often happens because they are the things that we like to do, is it's easy for us to spend a lot of our time doing things that are not important and not urgent. But they're things that are easier to do because we like them, right? What's that? Right. Yeah. Um, so, from a biblical perspective, this is just a diagram. This is not the biblical principle. But it helps us think about the biblical principle from the perspective of what are some things that God has said that we must do? Okay, yeah, what we just looked at in Romans 13. We have to show love to others. Now, here's the challenge. Sometimes showing love to others, we would say, is always important. But is it always urgent? 
it might depend on what it is, right? So, has God called you to do particular things in your work or for your family or those sorts of things? Yes. And so, if we take the, I need to show love to these other people over here, but I'm not doing these things for church and home at all because I'm doing these things over here, then we've got things skewed too. So, uh, let's go back to the chapter, but just kind of use that as some of the background here. When we ask that God teaches us to count our days, this is the lesson we learn time and again. One way to make it practical is to schedule the time both for proactive good and the calling God has given us, and reactive good that responds to the urgent needs of others. Learning to let love inspire and drive our planning will likely mean fairly rigid blocks for our proactive labors, along with generous margin and planned flexibility to regularly meet the unplanned needs of others. So, in a typical day, you got, you know, 8 a.m. There we go. You got 8 a.m., 12 p.m., 8 p.m. You've got a... What's that? Right, right. So you've got this sort of time frame. So his point is this. If you've got a job, you know, it's going to take up this block of time, right? Because your boss expects you to be there and do stuff. And if you work for yourself, you've still got that block of time. It just might be broken up into different chunks, right? And so it's still, that block of time exists regardless. But there's other things we need to do besides just work, right? So we need, so if we put this as job, we also need somewhere in here, we need time for family. But if we only have time for our job and time for our family, there's the Romans 13 kind of idea. We could say needs of members. We gotta figure out where to fit that in, right? And maybe this is Monday to Friday. Maybe we have Saturday and Sunday, and there's more free time where we can fit some of this in. This is the point that he's trying to say. There's, there's stuff that's got to get done, and we've got to sort of fit it all in together. We'll talk more about that under one of the points that he's making here. One other thing to think about. Any of us, if we look back over the time that we have spent in life, are going to have moments where we say, I wasted minutes, hours, days, even years, when I could have done better with those. So how do we respond to that? We can wallow in sort of a sense of defeat, right? Or we can say, as he says here, redeem your wasted days, years, and weeks by letting them drive you to Jesus and inspire you by faith to remember to more carefully count the days still ahead. Someone want to read for us Philippians 3, 12 to 14? Yeah, do the next two verses, if you would, please. Yeah. 
good. So what's Paul saying here? Has he made it or has he not made it? He's not there yet. So he can keep striving, he can keep reaching, he can keep pressing forward. If we look behind us, what are we generally not going to be doing? Not going to be moving forward, right? Right, yeah. So we need to recognize mistakes that are sinful choices, mistakes, whatever, that we've made in the past. But then we turn, and instead of standing here and looking this way indefinitely, we turn and say, here's what God wants me to do now, and here's what I'm striving toward, that upward call of God in Christ Jesus that Philippians uh, 3 is talking about. So, and I say there, remember God's mercy. We sin, and we can't be okay with sin, and we can't be overcome by sin. What I mean by that is we never make excuses for our sin, but there is hope connected with God and the power of the Holy Spirit to change us and what we can do in the future. And so if we always have this sense, I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned, and there's no hope, no hope, no hope, that's not what the New Testament holds out for us. You sinned. Turn away from it. It's wrong. In Jesus, there is hope. And so we need to keep that in mind. So, so, so he gives four lessons here. The first one is consider your calling. Now, um, yeah, we'll, come, we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. So, idea of calling. Um, there was, for the Puritans, a concept of vocation, for example. Um, there is the more modern concept um, so the, this, the, the ideas of this have ebbed and flowed over time. So, for example, there is this idea that God wants you to do certain things with your life. That's more the biblical idea. Then there have been developments more in the past 50 or 100 years that there are things that you could do with your life that would be good for society. And so there's been different emphases coming and going in connection with schooling, saying we need people to fill certain slots in society so let's train them to do those tasks, right? Um, and that's not always a bad thing because the reality is if you have education but no end point of a job when you get done with that education, you're kind of stuck, right? Somebody says, I want to be a fine arts major, but they have neither the skill nor the opportunity to secure a position with like some kind of orchestra it's spending a lot of money with, with and then you're kind of stuck, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that everybody just needs to go into the trades either, right? Even though there's maybe guaranteed income in different trades. So there's a balance there, right? And it's a complex issue. I was watching an argument people were having on Facebook, which I did not participate in, but it was basically the idea of uh, one of the political candidates wants to say everybody should have free college education for whatever they want to be and do. Um, and I recognize that there are a whole lot of complex things connected with that. But one of the things that we ought to keep in mind is um, God has made different people with different skills and abilities. So, the only example in the New Testament that's very clearly laid out is the office of pastor, right? As far as requirements and what it's supposed to look like. So he says, for example, 
the one who wants to do this wants a good thing. It's a good thing. Then there is the element also in those qualifications of, and here's the sort of person he's supposed to be. And then there's the, I think with good biblical support from a variety of passages, there's a recognition by the church, not only does he want to do this, not only could he do this, but we want him to do this here, right? So, I mean, I graduated from seminary and I wanted to be a pastor. I can't decide for myself if I'm qualified to do that. And I don't go appoint myself the pastor of a church, right? Because that's not how it works. It is the evaluation of the church with regard to character and with regard to are we asking you to do this specific task. Along the same lines, although it's not laid out quite that clearly in Scripture, I think the principles are there, God has gifted each individual person with specific abilities. I'm not talking about spiritual gifts. I'm just talking broadly speaking. Different people have different skills, both in terms of, and this ties into what we were looking at in the the Dynamic Heart book. Some people are more um, thinkers. Some people are more feelers, if that's a word, right? Some people will analyze things. Some people are better at coming alongside people and showing compassion. Um, If we were all exactly the same, the world would not be very interesting, and God has designed us to all work and fit together. So, if you're someone who is um, really good at coming alongside people and showing compassion and sort of meeting people's needs in those sorts of respects, but you're not very well organized, then being the CEO of a company is probably not the right fit for you as far as a vocation, right? Maybe, there's probably cases where it works, but as a general rule, that sort of high pressure environment that sort of demands a certain degree of organization, all those sorts of things, may not work the best. So when he says consider your calling, I was having a little bit of a hard time whether he's thinking spiritual gifts or whether he's thinking job. I think mostly he's talking about job, but the passage he cites is talking about spiritual gifts. They're not completely disconnected, right? If you're good at something at your job, it may also be because God's gifted you to be good at it in connection with the church, right? Um, So if someone has a gift of being well-organized in connection with their job, that can spill over and be a benefit to the church as far as like organizing some activity or some event or something like that. There's spillover between the two. But with regard to the time management idea, um, one of the big challenges with regard to calling is this. If you're, particularly if you're in school, or if you are looking at jobs, there's a big tendency to say, not what can I be doing right here and now, but what's the next thing, right? So if you're in school, you are, have the opportunity to serve God and do things that please God now. So, for example, um, when I was in college, I had opportunity to preach at some nursing homes. And there were guys that I would go to with the nursing home, with to the nursing home, and their attitude was, we're just going to go visit these old people, and it's kind of something that's expected of us, and it's not really the big important thing that I'm going to do down the road, so I don't really need to be all that well prepared for it. I'll just sort of throw something together last minute, right? That's not the right attitude to have, because 
I'm doing something for God even if I'm in school. I'm doing something for God even if I'm in a starter job and not the one that I eventually want to have someday. So see this as an opportunity to serve God where you here and are. That doesn't mean there's no opportunity for advancement or moving forward or all those sorts of things, but recognize how God has gifted you. Recognize that you can serve God in the present and think about how to do that well. So what does calling or vocation look like then for the Christian? He says our professional calling, that regular endeavor for which God has designed our head, heart, and hands for some particular season of life, flows not only from our own aspirations and the affirmations of others, but also from a tangible opportunity. What's he saying there? Okay, but what do we have to have in order to do a particular job? Right? Somebody offering it to us, right? Okay, so um, with regard to time management, he's saying don't always be looking for the next big thing. And he's also saying recognize that we may have desires for the future, but there's also the reality of where we are right at this particular moment and he says we might feel the call to a new profession have the happy approval of those who know us best but until some specific door swings open we have the live opportunity to begin operating in that field that calling remains future and we neglect our previous charge to the detriment of our joy and the good for good of others so with regard to time management if I'm looking for something else or if I'm sort of fantasizing about what will be next what am I generally not doing here and now? A good job at what I'm supposed to be doing until I'm doing the other thing, right? I, I don't know if this is a specifically biblical idea entirely, but it is, I think, uh, derived from biblical principles and ideas, what we see um, throughout the Bible. Secondly, plan with big stones. I'm sure you've heard this idea. Take a jar, you put a bunch of... Um, big river rock in it and then you say oh, now I'm going to add a bunch of um, I did it backwards if you have a jar you fill it with a bunch of gravel and then you say now I'm going to stuff big pebbles in it how successful are you? not very but if you have the big river rock in there first can you fit Smaller, pe smaller gravel and sand and whatever else around that? Yes. What's the point? Start with the big things. All right. So this then ties into something that, again, is somewhat of a business kind of idea, but I think also is tied in with biblical concepts, and that is the idea of roles and responsibilities. So what is something that you have that is a role God has given to you? Okay, so I'm just going to say more broadly, parent. What else? Okay. All right. What else? Okay. What else? Okay, so I'm just going to put church, and then subsets of that would be gospel, uh, ministry, etc. So 
and when we say church, we'd probably say a member of a church. What else? Yes. Okay, so responsibilities toward, yeah. Um, yeah, so we could say caretaker. Okay. What else? What are some other examples of things that you might... What's it? Okay, neighbor. Okay, yeah, student. What's common to all of these things? True. Uh, what, 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 what sort of category would all these fit in? There, well, there's jobs, but they're, they're all connected with relationships, right? Okay. Um, so probably the most important one is one that we don't necessarily think of, is that we are creatures made by God, right? Um, not everyone will have all these responsibilities all throughout their lives, right? If we had to say which of these are most important, which one of these is most important? Yeah, so our relationship to God, the fact that we're, there's this idea of creature and creator. Um, among the rest of these, which of these others is probably the most, should be the longest lasting in the course of our lives? Yeah, so this one. And then depending on your specific circumstances, it's probably, so probably one, two, and then any one of these can be three. Um, this, yeah. And then um, these other ones usually are of a shorter duration, right? Neighbor is for as long as you live in a particular place. Student is for as long as you're in a particular field of study. Caretaker is for as long as you have that responsibility toward that person. Um, so these are God-given Things. So one of the ideas that gets um, discussed a lot is the idea of identity, right? So if we say, what is your identity? Um, in the dynamic heart, Pierre makes this point. He says, I'm a fan of the Cleveland Browns. I enjoy, you know, building projects. I'm a parent. I'm a church member. I'm a pastor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not all of those things are equally important, right? So there's the things that we do that we want people to associate with us, right? Here's my sports affiliation. Here's my favorite food. Here's my whatever else, right? And then there's things that are God-given core things, a lot of the things in this list. And those are things that we can't change. The problem with our society is not primarily that they have got it wrong that certain things about us are important, because that's true. It's that they've picked the wrong things to be important. What I choose to do with my body sexually is not supposed to be the defining characteristic of who I am, particularly when it's a sinful choice, right? What I like as far as hobbies and interests and skills is not supposed to be the defining characteristic of who I am. There was a, a guy that I had, I'd visited his mom, and in fairly close succession, the guy and his mom died within the course of a year. 
But that guy's funeral, basically his obituary was this. He liked trying out new wine and he liked riding his motorcycle. Do you want that to be the sum total of your life? I mean, obviously we give an account to God and his evaluation is the most important thing, but the thing that people remember us for, do you want it to simply be those things? Here's my hobbies. Here's what made me happy. I mean, our lives ought to be more than that, right? And so that's where these things come in with regard to the point that he's making, which is, if my highest responsibility is to God and there's something that comes into conflict with that, which one wins out? My relationship with God. If there's something that comes in, in conflict with my relationship with my church, um, that ought to have a pretty heavy weight, right? There's something that comes into conflict with my responsibility as a parent. I'm tired and I don't want to deal with my kids today. You know, Bob. How would you factor in health? Okay. Yeah. Serving God, they didn't take care of their house, and they died at a young age. Yeah. So obviously, still part of God's plan. But I think about you know when you're on that airplane, yeah. put your own mask on first, then you can help others. Sure. So how do how do you see that fitting into how we plot out our time? You know, this, I mean, I guess it goes back to the urgent and important. How important is regular exercise? How important is Yeah. So let me give you a couple of quick examples. One is there was a fellow named Sheffy who was a big evangelist back in like the 1700s. The guy basically farmed out his kids to relatives and more or less orphaned them because he was off being a circuit riding preacher. Well, obviously, he took the church and God is more important than his family. And that's what, I mean, we can't, they're not supposed to fight against each other like that. There's give and take. I mean, for example, um, you know, just speaking from what I know, um, somebody's in the hospital on a weeknight and I need to go see them, then I'm probably not going to be there for supper with my family. Um, but if that happens in such a way, like especially in the context of like a much larger church, there have to be structures put in place so that's not happening every single night of every single week. If I, um, if something comes up again, you know, some urgent thing comes up for one of you that we need to talk about, work through, whatever, and it means that I miss some activity at my kid's school, that may be a reality. Should that happen every single time? No, I mean, I think we can, I think we can figure out ways to make that not happen all the time. And so that's where a lot of these things start to break down relationally, which I know your question is more about health, but relationally, I destroy my relationship with my kids if I always choose this other thing over them or my wife, you know. Eric. Sure, yeah. Sure. And have the humility to recognize that in some cases I might be right, I might be wrong, right? Jonathan. Yeah. 
And uh, so here's the here's the here's the tricky balance. Um, if I exercise, will I probably be able to be better used by God than if I never do? Yes. There's also the whole idea of you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. So I you know again um, bodily exercise profits for a little while, but it's for this short duration of our life. Um, godliness with contentment is of great gain indefinitely. Yes. Okay, and that's very good. So, for example, we were talking about this. So something comes up here. Someone in the church needs something. You're at work for 8, 10, 12 hours. How then do we meet that need if you're at work, but that person has a need? What's true of the church? There's more than one person in it. So God's goal is not necessarily that you individually meet every single need of every single other person. That's why where the body works together to make things happen. There's also the reality of um, when it comes to scheduling things, the decisions that we're making between two things is not, am I going to do the work that I'm being paid to do today or am I going to help a church member, right? in terms of the show love to one another. The decisions that we're making are, am I going to read a book, watch TV, do this hobby that I like? More of like the fun stuff that we would prefer to do. That's the thing that we sometimes have to give up. That should be the first line of things that we're giving up in order to do what we need to do to help other people, right? To show love, to have opportunities to serve. Yes? And, and again, that's where, so the reality is, church family steps in. The idea, the idea should also be that actual physical family steps in and helps with some of these needs too. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Ideally, you know, th there's a lot of ways that this can all fit together. So the main point is this. Um, why is it important to put the must-dos higher in the list than the like-to-dos? Because the must-dos are the things that are important. That's the, the main idea from this one. Um, number three, I'm going to encourage you to read and think about. We could always discuss it more either tonight or, or next week. Um, this idea of making the most of your mornings. Uh, is it a biblical mandate or an example of a good idea? So factor that in with regard to not everybody is wired exactly the same way, but there's probably some weight to some of these biblical examples. But they are examples, not command. So think about that one and uh, we'll come back to that one again, like I said, either tonight or next week. 
The fourth thing he says is create flexibility for meeting others' needs. Your schedule ought to serve others, not just you. How can you change the way you view your clock and your calendar to serve others better? Quick comment on this. Um, one of the big ideas that has, I keep seeing pop up a lot lately is this idea of self-care. That ties into your earlier question, Bob. And self-care tends to be for the secular person, um, have a glass of wine, take a bubble bath, be alone, away, isolated from people, right? So, um, obviously for Christians, that ought to look different. And there is the reality that relaxing probably ought to have a spiritual component to it, right? So there is a sense in which there's a part of us that wants to be alone and isolated, but, you know, gathering for an opportunity to study the Bible with other people can be as encouraging and refreshing as, you know, sitting around and doing whatever, right, on your own, okay? So that's uh, different um, things that we need to think through. So, um, but this idea of creating flexibility for meeting others' needs, again, the choice is not between what God has said we ought to do and uh, something else God has said we ought to do. The things that ought to give in our schedule are the things that are fun things, things that we like to do, and realize sometimes we have to change, like you were saying earlier. We can't say yes to everything, so sometimes we have to say, you know what? I cannot have my kids involved in sports and music, and working a job after school, and be a good church member, and do my own job, and I've got a, a parent or a grandparent or someone who needs regular care, and we can't do everything. And so sometimes we have to give stuff up. But the where we start with giving stuff up is with the extra things that are not the core things that God has said we must do. And that takes wisdom, and that takes skill. And sometimes we're making decisions between core things family and church, or um, the fact that God has called me to do this, um, but here's something connected with my neighbor. I mean, there's, there's sometimes these conflicts we have to work through, but God gives us grace and help to do it. The main thing is, God's in charge. Don't live with regret. Keep pressing forward, and recognize there are things that are important, there are things that are urgent, and we have to make wise decisions in how we balance all of that. All right, let's close in prayer. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to look at these ideas. I know we've had a lot of more practical discussion, maybe, than biblical principle. I pray the biblical principle would be the thing that we're most committed to. Give us wisdom and the practical outworkings from there. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.